You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in America. We want to make care better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or you have feedback, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, as producer and host of this show, sometimes I get to make a special announcement. And I am taking a proud moment now to announce that Inside Healthcare was named a gold level winner of an AVA Digital Award. The AVA Digital Awards is an international competition that recognizes outstanding work by creative professionals involved in the concept, direction, design, and production of media that is part of the evolution of digital communication. The awards are administered and judged by the Association of Marketing and Communication Professionals. This podcast is a 2023 gold winner in the category of digital content marketing for a podcast series. Not just one episode, but for the entire Inside Healthcare series. Out of about 2,500 entries expected this year, only about 20% of them are named gold winners. Special thanks going out to everyone out there listening and inside NCQA who supported our efforts throughout 2022 and continue to stand up for us every day. It means a lot. Now on this episode of Inside Healthcare, we're drilling down to the core of health equity rehabilitation. Things do not tend to improve in an historically underserved community until people in the community take advantage of the health services they're offered. Well, today, we're talking with one of the winners of NCQA's 2022 Innovation Awards about a program that knows this all too well and is getting things done. The NCQA Innovation Awards recognize organizations for implementing leading-edge strategies that improve both quality and value. I'll be grabbing interviews along the way this year with each of our four Innovation Award winners from 2022, but today we hear from Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey and their winning program, Neighbors in Health. According to their website, Neighbors in Health is a large-scale statewide community health workers program that is delivered through a collaboration among payers, hospital systems, and community-based organizations. The community health workers, in consultation with personal health assistants, provide moral support while empowering members to take greater control of their own health in the future. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey supports educating CHWs, helping them earn certification and training in a number of skills, including behavioral health treatment, first aid, substance use, and reducing health worker burnout. So how does a state-level program fix equity gaps in communities? How do they work effectively within local communities? How do they identify and convince people to take advantage of the locally provided services they need? Well, to get some answers, I interviewed Tracy Paris Benjamin, 
Director for Community Health and Health Equity at Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. And when it comes to their Neighbors in Health program goal of advancing health equity by engaging community health workers, all of their work starts by focusing on people as individuals and helping them one at a time. Anyone can benefit from this program. One of the things that we are very deliberate with when we started the program was really thinking about the needs that people have, social barriers, and it goes across all lines of business. So when I say all lines of business, we're talking beyond product line, whether you have Medicaid, commercial insurance, or Medicare, our program is one that really focuses on the needs that our members have, regardless of the type of coverage that they have. And that was really imperative as we started to really look at the barriers to care for social determinants. We recognized that one zip code has more decision-making on the trajectory of their health versus actually their product line or the insurance carrier that they have. Um, It's really about the zip code level. And it was important for us to do a predictive analysis. And what that was is taking into account Horizon members, where they live and their geography, and how their zip codes actually dictate some of the health outcomes that we see. And what we wanted to do was work with our analytics team to identify members that could potentially have excess spend. And that excess spend is for things like, you know, hospital utilization, um, you know, ER visits and utilizing the hospital as a way of, you know, providing care, but one that's not effective. And what we found with that correlation are these are members that tend to have a lot of barriers to care. And some of those barriers are things like food insecurity, transportation barriers, caregiver burden or social isolation. And that was the kind of that was the starting point of identifying who were the right persons to participate in a program like this. So it meant going across all lines of business. All of our members are actually eligible to participate in this program. And we decided that in order to have or facilitate a trusting relationship, we needed to involve the community. So you really end up using social determinants of health as a as a means, as a motivation for what you're doing, but also as a as a guide for um, which members need more help maybe from from this program than than others. Exactly. And I think, you know, we not think we started at the height of the pandemic. So the program was launched in April of 2020. And as you can imagine, the intent of this program was to integrate and incorporate community health workers. Community health workers are a non-clinical resource. These are persons in their community that were doing this work primarily without pay. Many of them you can find at your local PTA. They may work at a church. They may volunteer. And it was really going into the community, advertising these jobs, and then identifying, do they have the personalities to engage within, you know, 35 seconds of meeting with this person, do you feel like this is someone that you can actually tell your story to? And it was an opportunity for us to also focus on workforce development. So hiring within the communities that we serve, there is similarities that people have 
to folks that look like them, that understand the language and have the same lived experience or similar lived experience. And we felt that that was a trusted resource to then endorse the medical community. So traditional healthcare, we realize having a nurse case manager or a social worker make cold calls doesn't always work as effectively as we would like. So this was community health workers undergoing specific trainings. We worked primarily with Penn. They have an impact model that is focused on certifying community health workers. As they went through this training, it was helping them understand the importance of motivational interviewing and really being able to build these bonds with our members to allow them to have more fruitful conversations about managing their health more efficaciously, but also addressing those barriers that often preclude appropriate management of disease. So I wanna move to a a different aspect of, of the conversation. Uh, I, I'm very interested in the fact that we're talking to BCBS of New Jersey. So although the conversation and this project is on the community level in so many different aspects of, of uh, and, and like you just said, for community health workers, they make up the, the bread and butter of this program, but uh, it's being run by a statewide system. So um, how, how do you end up doing that? A, a large population, dense urban population, we're talking about New Jersey compared to other states in the country, but there's also a very high cost of living in most places for New Jersey. So what are some of the challenges that you face on a state level and how has Horizon addressed those challenges in general, but also specifically when it comes to this program? Yeah, I actually think even before we go to the challenges in the state, it's really important to talk about getting the leadership aligned. Um, So internally within Horizon, it was really important to educate our senior leaders about the importance and the impact that social barriers have on the health outcomes that we see. That allowed us to really focus on investing in a program such as this. Uh, It definitely took a lot of dollars to be able to do this kind of work, but it also required the relationships between a lot of our hospital partners, as well as our community partners and the payer to do this work effectively. One of the challenges that we see with programs such as this is it's very siloed. You have community health workers that are working independently and they're they're occasionally tapped on the shoulder to reach out to members and it's episodic. It was really important for us to make sure that the hospitals, the communities, and community organizations were all at the table in developing this program with us. So that is usually a big challenge in terms of getting all of these systems together to focus on addressing one particular goal. When you think about systemic issues within New Jersey, there is definitely food insecurity, which is huge. And we saw that at the height of the pandemic. When schools were closed, the pantries and 
opportunities to get food have become so inundated. So it was really important for us to make sure that our community health workers were flexible in working with some of our food pantries, in delivering food to some of our members, in delivering prescriptions to some of our members. Those were some key things that we started to see. We also saw access to the vaccines as a huge issue in New Jersey during that time frame as well. And it was really imperative for us to address the needs specifically by going out into those communities and working with non-traditional sources. So in the past, engaging with clergy has not been something that we've commonly done. We did that during the, the height of the pandemic to be able to bring vaccines to people where they live. Uh, a large number of Horizon members, as well as members in specific communities, did not have access to the vaccine at the height of the pandemic. And we were able to collaborate with quite a few pharmacies to bring it into churches, to bring it into schools. So those were a few of the challenges between food insecurity, um, financial needs, and social isolation. Those are big needs that we see in the state of New Jersey. So I was going to ask you about how you determine and how you reach people for individualized care. Uh, but honestly, you're so far ahead of the game. Uh, we've discussed on this show, especially in terms of population health and uh, gaps in health equity for certain populations, for certain neighborhoods, geographic areas, that um, there's there are two steps that need to be taken. Because for a long time, people would talk about, oh, well, the first step, what we need to do is, is provide access to care, uh, uh, to provide food uh, services somehow where there might be food deserts, uh, to have vaccine vans that are mobile vans. And, and it seems that for, for many cases, you can place those in a neighborhood, but it doesn't encourage the people to actually go and take advantage of the services. And for that, you need boots on the ground. You need people, more than that, people who are part of that community and therefore they reflect the community. And so the community members respect that and they recognize and they feel like they're seeing themselves when they see exactly. somebody. And that's where the trust starts to come from. I, I wanted to ask you, there were two folks that we were talking about. One is CHWs, community health workers, but also in, um, in your literature, um, Horizon talks about personal health assistance, PHAs. So I, I don't want to leave them out. So tell us about PHAs, um, how they contrast with CHWs, and then how they're part of uh, the project. Sure. Uh, David, happy to answer that question. Kind of going back to the important aspect of making sure that all parties are fully aligned to support this program, it was important for us to identify an internal resource within Horizon. One of the things that we found is many of our members don't access healthcare because of the type of benefits that they select. So having a personal health assistant really is someone who serves as an educator to help our members understand the benefits in which they're choosing that support, in essence, the healthcare that they're receiving. So let me give you one example. Sometimes we have members that choose plans that don't necessarily correlate with their specific budget. 
Uh, we have members sometimes that can choose things like a high deductible plan. And it seems like it works best for them because they don't have to pay high cost, right? But what they do is neglect going to the doctor because in that moment, they can't afford to make a copay. Having a personal health assistant serves as a liaison to the community health worker to give them an insight to the member's benefits. So we can say the member has access to the following. The member can go see doctors in the following location. And that creates a synergy between the community health worker and the health plan so that the member is seeing a doctor that is within their geography, seeing a doctor that looks like them, that speaks the same language. Historically, the community health worker, because they're in the community, this is information they would not necessarily have access to. So the community health worker and the PHA working together as a team really allows for that supportive effort to make sure the member gets access to the appropriate point of care. Sometimes it's the urgent care center versus the ER. So they're providing them with that information. And that, in essence, helps not only the member to choose the right point of care, but also works to keep costs down. So um, I'm going to ask you to take everything that we just said and put it in a, a different perspective. From the point of view of a patient, um, tell us what happens. I, I, I'm not even sure where to start the story because sure, there's, there's sure. a thousand different examples. But if you have somebody who's a patient who's with Horizon, um, you know what? And honestly, let's talk about a patient who doesn't know about this program necessarily. Um, what What is it like for them if there's something typical that they are going through uh, and maybe they've been to their PCP and they're being referred to a specialist and they get to that point, how are they identified by Horizon? And then how uh, how does Horizon start to disseminate these services? And what does the patient actually experience when they get reached out? Do they get a phone call? Are, they, are there telehealth appointments? Uh, what's it like? Just sort of on average, give us an example, please. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And kind of taking you through a little bit of a, you know, a case study of, of some sort or the, the member experience. So members are identified in a multitude of ways. The first way is through our predictive analytics. So we take into consideration social data as well as claims data. We marry that and it comes up with an algorithm that identifies members who will have excess spend. That list is then disseminated to our partners. These are our partners that are part of the Neighbors in Health program. We have 11 partners. Many of them are hospitals that are anchors in the New Jersey state, as well as community organizations and coalitions. So they receive a list of members and community health workers work to outreach those members, whether it is in person at the hospital setting at the bedside or through some telephonic outreach. As you can imagine at the height of the pandemic, much of this was done telephonically, but because of the training our community health workers has received, we are seeing a higher increase in terms of enrollment and engagement. So that's the first way members are identified. Then for many of our providers, what we do is we make those providers aware that they can actually make referrals into the program to community health workers based on their assessment with members through in-person you know, uh, relationships or an in-person uh, appointment. So if a member identifies that they have a specific need and those needs are not limited to any one social barrier, but a need that's impeding their ability to thrive, 
they can be referred into the program. The last way is members can actually self-refer. So on our website, we do talk a little bit about what social barriers are, and if those things are impeding a member's ability to go to the doctor or to live well, how they can self-refer those members into the program. Once a member is identified for the program through those different mechanisms, there's an outreach, whether it's in-person or telephonic, an assessment is then done. The assessment may be done over a period of time, may not be on one specific setting, but it's a series of different questions that we're asking the member in terms of their need. And then this predictive model that we're still talking about through an assessment identifies, for example, David will benefit most from a food intervention or from a transportation intervention to get him to the doctor. And those members are then connected by the community health, um, community health worker to actually present the resource and to take them through. But I wanna stress that it's not just limited to those immediate needs. Sometimes the conversation is rooted in things that someone feels lonely and based on that, the community health worker is building a relationship and may say, maybe we should meet at a park or maybe we can go bowling. Um, and these are different things that kind of help foster trust where the conversation then alludes to now that we've gone bowling or we've done A, B and C. And I'm not saying this to make it so matter of fact, but let's talk about how we're going to improve your health. Let's set some goals. So it really depends and it's customized based on the relationship. Many of the things we've been able to do is also help folks return back to school, complete various training programs, um, do some career development. Others have been around achieving a high school equivalency. So it really just depends. So it goes from looking at financial wellness, which is important, as well as overall physical wellness and health making sure they have a doctor, have a relationship with that doctor, as well as a dentist or specialist as needed. That sounds great. It, it, it really does. I mean, having somewhere along the way, you have an underlying philosophy of teaching people to fish so that we're, we're trying to keep them out of it, not just keeping them in better health and teaching them responsibility and how to be responsible for themselves and to be self-aware, but not afraid if they have some medical issue or emergency, uh, but that they can trust that there are people there behind them. And then also at the same time to do what you can to help them to stay in good enough health that they don't need services um, so often. As far as training goes specifically, um, I heard that the, the program within Horizon that enables in health trains healthcare workers. So what are, what are some of the options that are available and who is this training for? What are they being trained? Is this um, training to use the program or is it uh, specific uh, academic certifications that are involved with it? Sure. No, that's another great question. So there are various training models, primarily for community health workers. There are some certifications. Um, they're not licensed at this time, but community health workers can be certified. So we've worked with the Penn Center uh, for Medicine and our community health workers do receive certification from the impact model. They go through a 10-day training 
Um, it is focused on how to engage members effectively. It also talks about some chronic conditions and how community health workers can advocate and to support members in terms of reminders to get, you know, various screenings and things of that nature. It's very focused also on active of listening and the importance of being aware of counter-transference of how, you know, how important that is when you're working so closely with someone, how you're able to build a relationship, but also set goals. Um, so it really kind of helps the efficacy of the program and follows within the confines of, you know, what's appropriate to document and the different sources to do so. So, and at lastly, I would say it's about community building and building a network because these community health workers also do a lot of outreach in their various communities. So they serve as advocates. Sometimes it can be an advocate just getting people mobilized around voting, the importance of that. It could be conversations about, you know, focusing on financial wellness. Um, so community health workers, their work is multidimensional. So that training is what gives them the expertise to consistently have these relationships with our members. You know, when you come in and right off the bat, you said, okay, we have a program. It's, it's, it's based on population health research. Uh, and it's an equity program, but it's not an equity program because it doesn't have equity in its name. It's just that, of course it is. And here's how we're doing it. We're doing it by incorporating people in the community and not saying no to anybody, saying, okay, we're seeing stats that are telling us there's a there are issues in such and such community. Now we're going to contact organizations in that community and say, okay, if we wanted to help and, and provide certain services, what do we do? Who do we talk yeah. to? Who's the best person, you know, down the street and around the corner? Who's the best person to talk to? Who's the person that everybody listens to? Who's the person who actually gets people to do stuff? And, and how do you do it where, where you yeah. are? And I would um, I would add that, you know, I would dare, you know, the folks that are listening to be a little risk averse, um, you know, like take take a risk. I would say on a program like this, uh, these are programs, unfortunately, that when they start, you know, you don't always see the results tomorrow. And a lot of times for, I think, a lot of payers and folks that do this work, you know, we want to see results yesterday. And you think about the time it takes for members to be able to change behaviors. It takes time. So you have to give the programs time to mature but once you do, you will begin to see those results on the back end. You'll be able to see those changes in terms of a return on investment. You'll be able to see some of those reductions in the ER use. You'll see those reductions on inpatient. You'll start to see overall better management of certain chronic conditions because folks now are connected they do feel like they have a trusted source they can come back to while they're working with the community health worker for that duration of time. They can come back into the program again if a new need arises or they can definitely reach out and still be connected or directed without being enrolled in the programs. So uh, I'd like to wrap up by asking you to address anybody who's listening. Most of the people listening to the show are all over the country. They're all over the U.S., um, so hearing about the success of the program is great. How do we translate this to other states? You've already given us a model to, you know, this extent of something that's statewide, but we figured out how to structure it. So it gets down to the community level 
and it still can be managed community, you know, uh, neighborhood to neighborhood or area to area. Um, so how would you suggest ways in which we could take a state level program like this and translate it to another state uh, or uh, replicate it, um, however you want to say? Yeah, I think what's important is to, you know, for anyone that's listening is to really understand your patient population, understand the needs of the community. You know, a lot of times I think we go in with the perspective that we know what's needed and we want to improve the health. And the best program is one that addresses diabetes or addresses hypertension without actually pulling the hood up and understanding that you know, blood pressure monitoring, while that's good, may work in one community, but may not work in another. So I think the first thing is to really focus on the data. I would tell any organization is to focus on your data collection practices, making sure that you're beginning to create or obtain race and ethnicity and language data. I think that that's really important to begin to kind of not just look at things from an aggregate level, but to begin to look at it based on the populations that are most impacted and marginalized. Um, that's really important. Then the next step is to get your senior leadership aligned with the importance of addressing health equity. I'm really proud to say over the course of the year in doing this work, my role has been expanded in a recent promotion to not only focus on community health, but now focus primarily on health equity. It's all kind of wrapped up in one. And the reason why is because it's so imperative for folks to look at care through the lens of equity. Reimagining health, not just based on the doors of the physician, but thinking about collaborating with schools, thinking about collaborating with community partners, um, focused on engaging with leaders in the community to be that voice that is an extension of the hospital, an extension of the payer. So I would motivate people to think collectively about what is their health equity strategy. And if you develop a strategy or a roadmap, how do you begin to develop programs that truly support your members. So for us, it was incorporating community health workers because we felt that that was the best resource. For another organization, your primary concern might be focused on working on addressing maternal child health, which is another big proponent or big um, issue that we're seeing in New Jersey. So you may want to start with that particular cohort. So from my perspective, it starts with the data, it starts with the leadership, and it starts with a collective understanding around addressing health equity, which then rolls into addressing those social barriers to care. Tracy Paris Benjamin, Director for Community Health and Health Equity at Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, talking about Neighbors in Health, which won Nancy QA's 2022 Innovation Award. Learn more about this program and about our Innovation Awards by clicking the links in this show's description. Time now for our regular Fast Facts segment. I provide some fast facts on a health observance for this month, and you go and tell everybody you know. Now, February is National Children's Dental Health Month, something we do support here at NCQA with one of our measures. I'll tell you more in a little bit. And it's no surprise that the American Academy of Pediatrics has an amazing oral health campaign toolkit. 
I'll put the link for that in this show's description. Now, in their toolkit, one great resource is called Brush Book Bed, a program of educational modules for parents and teachers. Here's just a taste of what the program includes, tips on brushing young ones' teeth. The end game here includes preventing tooth decay and tooth malformations. So here are a couple of their tips. First, try to get your baby off their bottle by the time they turn one. In fact, don't let them sleep with the bottle in their hand at all, just to make sure it stays out of their mouth. But if they do still need it, make sure you have water in the bottle instead of milk or formula, because you don't want the stuff staying in its mouth. And here, and if the baby has no teeth, you should still clean their mouth gently with a wet, soft cloth after they're done feeding. Again, we don't want to keep the the milk or uh, formula in their mouth. Once the baby gets even a hint of a tooth, it's good to brush the teeth or the tooth twice a day with a tiny bit of fluoride toothpaste. That's right. I mean like the size of a grain of rice and make sure to rinse it out so they don't swallow it. If your baby is older and drinking juice, please make sure there's no artificial sweeteners that it's 100% fruit juice and they should have no more than a small glass per day. And finally, make sure they're also drinking lots and lots of water. Here's a trick. In most parts of the United States, water is slightly fluoridated. So drinking it can help, again, protect tooth enamel from cavities. I'll include links to the toolkit in this episode's description. But as for us, NCQA's HEDIS toolset includes a measure titled Annual Dental Visit, or ADV. Now, specifically, about a quarter of the kids in the United States have cavities. And left untreated, the decay creates opportunities not just for tooth loss, but a host of childhood diseases. The ADV measure assesses Medicaid members ages 2 to 20 who had dental benefits and had at least one dental visit during the measured year. Also, you can check out the American Dental Association's website where you can grab flyers, posters, and a program planning guide for teaching tooth tips to kids. Even better, the ADA's sister website called mouthhealthy.org has tips that families can explore together to find out more about keeping the little one's choppers pearly white. Always something waiting for you down the road here at NCQA, so here's the skinny on upcoming events. On May 3rd, 2023, in Washington, D.C., our annual Quality Talks event. One day, one stage, non-stop speakers covering so many aspects of healthcare quality. Seating is limited, so register now so you can see us in person. For more information or to view speaker presentations from past years, go to qualitytalks.org. Our Quality Innovation Series features training and learning webinars held over several months. In fact, many 2022 online session recordings don't expire until the end of March, so there's still time. You can run to education.ncqa.org for more information. Our annual three-day Health Innovation Summit begins October 23, 2023 in Orlando, Florida. This is the place to connect with quality and care delivery innovators from across the healthcare world with speakers and panels and training sessions and a a big exhibit showcase floor. You don't want to miss it. 
As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we ask you now for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime, and be sure to include Inside Healthcare in the subject line. If you're coming up empty, here's our question for this episode. How can community health organizations best support volunteer health workers? So think about that one and then tell us about it. And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you want to be that guest, just email us and let us know. Communications at ncqa.org. And be sure to write Inside Healthcare in the subject line. Hope to hear from you soon. And that's it for episode 98 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, I know what you're thinking. Episode 98, that's awfully close to a pretty big milestone. So as we approach triple digits on this show, I'm planning something special. So keep checking our site and our stream for more details. In the meantime, this episode's done. But there are plenty more that came before it for you to explore and investigate. You can find us at blog.ncqa.org, or as you're probably doing now, you can find us on any Apple or Google streaming app. Whether you're downloading the show or you stream the show, if you find us, then please follow us. Hit the little heart button and make us your favorite and spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting other people know about NCQA's work. If you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn, on Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show uh, to share with friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our continued award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.